Lord Jesus, we do want to just once again, Lord, give you praise, glory, and honor, Lord, for just how awesome you are, Lord, how good you are, Lord. You're so good to us, Lord. Lord, you just shower us, Lord, with, with gifts, Lord, and they're all perfect gifts, Lord, and sometimes we can't even see them, Lord. But, Lord, your word tells us to have a heart of thanksgiving, Lord. And, Lord, we thank you also for your word, Lord, for it reveals all truth to us, Lord. Lord, as you told us through your word that from you we will hear the truth and the truth will set us free. And whom the, who the truth has set free is free indeed. And we know that for us, for those that have surrendered their lives to you, Lord, Lord, we live in your freedom, Lord. No longer in bondage to sin, Lord, transformed and cleansed by you and your word. Lord, we want to hear from you tonight, Lord, and we want your word to touch us, Lord. We want your word to move powerfully, Lord, within us. We want it to convict us, to rebuke us, to reprove us, to correct us, to instruct us, Lord. Because we want to be complete in you, Lord, equipped for every good and perfect work. Lord, we know that your word is alive and it transforms. And Lord, we want to be radically transformed by your word. We want to be on fire for you, Lord. We want to be just people, Lord, that are passionate about you, Lord, that are on fire for you. Lord Jesus, speak to us today. Move powerfully in and through this service, and we pray that you just pour out your spirit upon us. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. While we are in uh, Leviticus chapter 12, and uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about ritual uncleanness. But, you know, most of our discussion is going to be about mothers, and it's going to be about babies. And one thing about babies is, you know, I love babies. And uh, as most of you know, I have four children. But, uh, you know, after having three children or four children, you know, I, I must love them to have more, uh, to have those. And no, I'm not planning any more. God willing that this is, uh, this is it, and I believe that it is. But, uh, but one thing is, is I also love having children here in this place. It's awesome to have a lot of kids around and a lot of children around. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, as, uh, as we know that we have two kids here. I know Mary just had uh, Benjamin. And, uh, and Nan teaches had, uh, had Selah, but uh, always having a lot of kids in, the, in, a, in a church is always just, there's so much life with that. And so, you know, I want to talk about children uh, because I want us to see and to read from God's word what, what the Lord thinks about children and what, you know, what he has to say about children. And so, you know, I'm going to read to you from Psalm 127 uh, verse 3 and what it says there it says behold children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb is a reward and so as we look at that as we think to ourselves you know first he calls them a heritage from him and then secondly he calls them a blessing a reward right he says you know what their reward you know they're just blessings and their rewards you know, the child, you know, the child, uh, 
you know, as, as we talk about it, it's an inheritance and, and a reward from God. But as we look at this verse also, it means that the mothers are also blessed, right? And they're rewarded with children. And so, you know, as we know that all children come from the Lord and their blessings from Him, their, their inheritance from Him, and they're to us. And we know one thing that when the Lord walked on this earth, you know, when He was here, what, you know, what did He, He always loved the children around Him, didn't He? You know, why don't we turn to Matthew chapter 19 and let's read what, what He has to say about children there. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, you know, it says there, it says there, it says, Then the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. So we have here that they're bringing children right to Jesus. And all of a sudden, the disciples start telling either the kids or the parents, you know what? Don't bring the kids. Don't bring them to Jesus. And what does the Lord do? Let's read. It says, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. So what we see here is, you know what? The disciples were rebuking the parents or the kids, right, from coming to Jesus, and in turn, they get rebuked, right? They're told that, you know what, that they can't come to the Lord. I mean, that uh, as far as, I'm sorry, they're, uh, Jesus tells them that, you know what, that they let them come to me. And so we see that instance here. And, and there's another time as I'm going to turn to Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, this, what's going on here is that the disciples... You know, they're, the Lord is teaching them about greatness and how greatness comes through servanthood. And in 9, chapter, uh, verse 36, it reads there, it says, Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. So as I read that, you know, as we read this verse, he says, you know what? When you receive a child in my name, you're receiving me. You know, this is how he regards children. He has a high regard for little children. And that's important, see, because God loves children. And he loves children. And, and we were all once children, right? And he loves us all. And I also want to talk about mothers because, see, today that's what we're talking about, mothers and children. You know, what is, how does the Lord regard mothers? You know, I want us to turn to Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it talks about being sons and heirs. Heirs to the promises of God. But for sons of God, how is it that we become sons of God? Let's read that in verse 26. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For, our, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And the reason I read this verse is because I want us to make sure and to, ha- and to understand that, you know what, that women, he loves you and we're all sons of God. In other words, sons means both male and female. He's just giving the, uh, just, the, the, uh, the, the, just a, a way to categorize children of God as he calls us all sons of God. But one thing that we know is that, you know what, we are all one in him. Whether you're a, a male or whether you're a female, we are sons of God. And the only way to be a son of God is to have faith in Jesus Christ. You know, John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. See, there is no one excluded from this. His love for all is the same. Whether you're Jewish, whether you're non-Jew, whether you're a male, whether you're a female, whether you're slave or free, whatever color you are, it doesn't matter. Because we all are the same inside. And so as, he, as, as we look at this, I just want us to have a good sense of, of how God loves women. And, and there are no, they are no less than the man. For we are all one. And one thing about the women... See, when he created man, he looked at man and he said, you know what, it's not good that man should be alone. Right? He knew that we were incomplete. Males were incomplete, and so he had to bring a female. He had to create a female to become the helper of man, of her husband. And we know that, you know, in Genesis 1.27, it talks about how God created male and female. And then he instructed husbands and wives to be fruitful and to multiply. So this was the instruction from God for all married couples, for husbands and and for wives. He says to be fruitful and to multiply. You know, one thing is, I don't know if you remember the story of Esau and Jacob, you know, they had been separated, right? Because Jacob stole the birthright of Esau. And so when they're reunited, Esau sees all these children and he sees Jacob coming and he sees, you know, his wives and, and uh, Rachel and, and, and uh, Laban, I'm sorry, and um, yeah, and he sees them there and, and he says to himself, he says, where did they, you know, who are all of these children? Who are, who are all of them? And his response was, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. See, he knew where children come from. He says they all come from God. And so you're probably wondering, okay, why am I talking about this? You know, through the scriptures, I just want to show you how God regards mothers what he thinks of children what he thinks of mothers because leviticus 12 you know what it's gone off where people are just misinterpreting and misunderstanding and and going way off course with this chapter see because god is going to talk about in leviticus chapter 12 he's going to talk about women and children women that have children and People have misunderstood that chapter, and they, they've said that, you know what, that women are impure because of that chapter, and you're, we're going to go over it. They're saying that 
women are defiled, that women are dirty. Many have talked about children also, that, you know what, that children are defiled, that children are dirty, that, that you know what, that, that there shouldn't be pregnancies because of this. And so when we go over this, we're going to see exactly what God is trying to tell all of us. See, the Lord, what he's going to share with us is that there is a time. There is a time to approach him. And that time when you approach him, he says that you must be clean. And we're not talking about being right or holy. He's just talking about being a certain way. And so, you know, when we approach him, we're going to be talking about just these, um, how could I say it? The discharges that come from both male and female. But today we're only going to cover the female. And, you know, these, these uh, discharges that come you know, through blood and so forth, they made them unceremonial, un, I mean, they made them ceremonially unclean. And so when we talk about these things, you know, to be ritually clean and to be ritually unclean, it has nothing to do with good and evil. I just want us to remember that. Have that on the forefront of your mind, that it has nothing to be to be, uh, that has anything to do with being good or being evil. It just means that there's a time where God says, I want you to approach me. And there's a time when he says, you know what? Don't approach me. And so with that, I want us to begin to read in Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 12. In Leviticus chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. We're talking about the babies, the male baby. Then verse 4 says, She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any halo thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. And then verse 5 says, But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. Okay, so now let's explain all of this. You know, the woman, as he first says there, you know what, well, when the woman has, bears a child, you know, when she bears a male child, she's going to be unclean for seven days. And this is just like the, the normal menstrual period that women have. And, but after they have a baby, you know, they, they have this. They have, you know, they have this. Plus, they also have 33 more days, right? There's a, about 40 days that, 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 as he says, that, you know what, that they're going to be ceremonially unclean because as he says there for 33 days for 33 days there needs to be they need to be purified from their bleeding 
So what's she supposed to be doing for these 40 days when we talk about this, right? What is a woman after she has a baby, what's she supposed to be doing for 40 days after she has a male baby? You know, one of the things that women should be doing is what? Resting, right? And recuperating. After you have a child, what's the first thing the doctor tells you to do, women that have had children? You're supposed to rest, right? He says, I want you to rest. I want you to rest from everything. Stop your normal duties and just rest. And that includes also what? Coming to church, right? I know when Nancy and when Mary both had their babies, they were gone for 60 days, right? You were gone for two months. And Nancy was gone for two months. They were gone beyond the 40 days. And the reason is because I told them both that they were ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. No, they, that's not the case. They actually did it only because they needed rest. They needed to recuperate. And so this can only happen if they are away. And, and also, if they're away, right, that means that the babies are free from catching viruses, right? Infections, I mean... They haven't had their shots for, you know, for, for today, for the babies of today. So their, uh, their, their immune system isn't strong enough to combat the viruses and the uh, infections that are out there. So what about Jewish women? Okay, what, what does it mean now when we talk about this for, for the Jewish woman? For here in the Old Testament, the law that God gave them. Remember, this is, this, these are God's commands. They're not man's commands, they're God's commands. You know, one thing is that he isn't saying that she's unholy. I want you to understand that. What he's saying right now is not that she is unholy. He's not saying that she is in sin. What he's saying is that she is ceremonially unclean. Okay, there's a difference between being, you know what, unholy, sinful, versus ceremonially unclean. And the reason why she was considered ceremonially unclean is because of the discharge. You know, the blood that comes out. You know, the blood comes out, uh, you know, from a woman, and, and it takes a while before it stops, and we're going to talk about that. But see, one of the things that the Lord said in His Word is that when you have any type of discharge, I don't want you in my presence. Okay? This is what the Lord is saying. He's saying, because it's not only for the woman, I want you to understand that. We're going to read, and when we get to chapter 15, we're going to read that if a man had bodily discharges, that he also couldn't be ceremonially clean. He couldn't approach the tabernacle. He couldn't touch the holy things. He couldn't be there where God was. And so, you know, it applies to both the male and the female. If there was any type of emission, any type of, uh, of just, you know, things that were happening, you know what, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't be close to, they couldn't approach God. They couldn't be there. And so what happens? What happens is that the Lord says, you know what, I'm giving you this. And I'm letting you know these things. You know, it's the same thing, and, and I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about here. You know what? When I become, you know what? When I've done a lot of yard work, 
When I've done a lot of work around the house, and I want to approach Nancy, or I want to hug Nancy, or I want to kiss Nancy, you know what the first thing she tells me? You're dirty. Go clean yourself. Go take a bath. Exactly. See, there's those certain times that, you know, she tells me, you know what, I don't want you next to me. I want you. The only time you can approach me is when you're what? When you're clean because you stink. The Lord isn't telling that the women stink, but he's telling them, you know what? Once it's over, then you can approach me. You know, once, you know, the blood has stopped, then you can approach me. And the same thing, it's going with the men, except we're not covering that today because that's in chapter 15 where it talks about emissions and semen and all that stuff that comes, or bodily discharges, that he says, you know, when that happens, I don't want you to approach me. And the only time you can approach me is there's a period, a period of washing, a period of cleansing, and then you can approach me. And I want to remind you what's going on here. Remember, God himself, his presence is dwelling with them. And that's what's going on, and, he's, and, and, and they're living there, and he's, and he's there in, the, in, in their camp. And he's telling them, you know what, when you approach me, you got to approach me certain ways. You know, when it comes to the women, just so that we have a better understanding. You know, for those that have had babies, we know one thing is that blood comes after childbirth. And when you're pregnant, what your body does, it produces blood. And that production of blood, it increases by 50%. So you have 50% more blood that your body generates. And that's an amazing thing because to me that's fascinating that you can retain so much blood because God knows what's going to happen after you give childbirth, after you give birth to a child. You know, when you think about the human body, when I think about the human body and the nerves and, and your heart and your kidneys and everything that works so perfectly within our bodies, you know what? You think to yourself, you know what? It points. It points to a creator. It points to the fact that there is no evolution. You know what? It points to the fact that somebody created our bodies the way they are. And so after you give birth, you know, we, let's talk about the birth. It's called the postpartum. And the bleeding that comes out of a woman, it's called lochia. And this is actually a vaginal discharge. And this lochia that comes out, it's actually the leftover mucus, the leftover debris, the leftover tissue, and all that excess blood that comes from giving birth to your child. And this discharge that you have going on within you, it takes about four to six weeks before it ends. And some women, it even goes beyond that. But it happens on average for about 40 days. And so after that, you know what? It's gone. And you're fine. And, but during this time, during the time of discharge of the debris and the mucus and the tissue, the excess tissue, 
This is a time that the Lord says, you know what? I, I, what he was telling the Jewish woman, because he's not telling us, he's telling the Jewish woman, these are the times that, you know what, don't approach me. You know what, after it's done, then you have a celebration. And then you come and approach me. See, it was a time to be considered unclean. And again, it's just not being sinful or being unholy. It was just a time of, you know what, being unclean before the Lord. And so, you know, as we read these things, as we talk about these things, the Lord wants the women during this time to be resting and to be recuperating. What God had given the women here is that, is that you know what, he told them this, right? He says, you know what, there are certain times when I want you to approach me. And it's like Nancy, you know, when if I'm all dirty and filthy and I want to approach her, she tells me, no, take a bath, cleanse yourself first. And so what we have here is just that the Lord is teaching them, there are certain times to approach me and there are certain times that you don't approach me. But when we approach him, we must be right according to his instructions. And so as God gives the instructions, he wants to see our obedience to that. And he wants to remind us that, you know what, that there's certain ways and certain times that we approach the Lord. And I want to talk about this. See, because for us now, and this was for the Jewish women, this isn't for us and I want you to know that the Orthodox Jews, they still practice this. But you know what? For the Gentiles, which is the rest of us, the rest of peoples, the nations of peoples, you know what? This wasn't for us. And especially now in the church, right? Because when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are cleansed of all what? Unrighteousness. We're cleansed of everything. I mean, there's nothing that keeps us from approaching him because of our faith in him. And so we can approach him at any time. See, the Jews, they had to go, actually, they couldn't approach him. There was only the high priest that could approach God, and that was only one time a year. And he could go behind the veil. But for us, as we see here, you know what? We have access to the Lord. But see, there was that teaching from the very beginning that there's certain times that you can approach him. And there's only a certain way that you can approach him. And for us as a people today, who says that I am the way, the truth, and the life? The only way to get to go to the Father is by who? Is through him, right? So see, as you could see, there's already that teaching that that, that prerequisite of coming to God in certain ways and, and by certain, in, by, uh, in, in a certain time or, or the, the uh, uh, time that you can approach him. And so this teaching, as, you know, as he's telling them this, he's just pre it's just a preparation for the coming of Jesus. And, but what he says in verse 5, you know what, when it comes to the days of purification for a, a, a male child is... 33 days plus the seven days, which equates to 40 days before the female. If she has a female child, the female, the, the, the woman would be unclean for two weeks 
14 days, and her day of purification would be 66 days. And what that equates to is what? 80 days. So why is it that if you have a male child, that you can approach the Lord after 40 days, but when you have a female child, you would have to wait 80 days, which was double. And so, you know, we really don't have an answer for that. I want you to know that. And so what happens is that many people will begin to interpret this in their, own ma in their own way of thinking. And they'll begin to say, well, you know what? The woman, because she has a woman, that means that she's penalized for an additional four days. And so they can't approach God because, you know, for a longer period because it's a punishment for having a girl. But that's not the case as to what I read to you earlier. It's a contradiction to God's love for man and woman his love is the same for us and so you know we can as christians as we think of these things as to why would god say this i mean this isn't the answer to it but i would tend to think that you know what at this time we know that much regard was given to a male child and when you had a male child when you had a boy it was like man you know what that's all you needed, right? And so, usually when you had a woman at this time, a little baby girl, is that it wasn't thought to be as highly as it would be a boy. So you think to yourself, you know what? God knew the hearts of man. And so what he would want is that a longer bonding between the baby and the mother is the way I would look at it. And you think to yourself, you know what, if there's a greater bonding between the mother and the baby girl, you know, they come out, you know, just a lot better emotionally, spiritually. And so as we look at this, you know, there's not a real answer, but these are one of those that you're going to ask the Lord when we see them in heaven. You're going to ask them, and this, these are one of those questions, why would you do this, Lord? Why, what was the meaning behind it? Was it what Pastor Tony said one day? Or is it something else? You know, can you answer that for us? See, one of the things that we know about the Lord is there's a lot of things that we may not understand because, see, the Lord didn't give us clarity here. He didn't explain to us why. He could easily have told us in his word, you know what? The reason is because of this, but he doesn't do that. And so this is left for us as an unanswered reason as to why he does it. And so, you know, our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And so when we see the Lord, we can ask him this. And, but in verse 3, he mentions there something, right? And as we read through the first five, verse, uh, first five verses, he mentions there in verse 3, he says, And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. For the male child, they were to circumcise all the Jewish male babies at eight days. You know, they were to cut off their foreskin. And let's go to Genesis chapter 17 to read on this. 
In Genesis chapter 17, in verse 10, it says, This is my covenant with you, and this was with Abraham. The sign of the covenant was the circumcision. This is my covenant with you. You shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Again, between God and, and Abraham and, and uh, the Jewish people. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or brought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So we see here, you know what? God says, you know what? There's a sign between us and people are going to see this sign. Or people will know this sign because of the circumcision that your children have. And we know that circumcision was practiced by others, but we do know that this was a sign and, and God commanded all the Jews, all the male children, and even he told Abraham, you have to do that too now. And why was this? Why is this? I mean, we see that it is a sign of the covenant, but there's a much deeper meaning to this. See, because what they were told right now was just the outward, but we're going to see further now the inward meaning of circumcision. Let's go to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 10. In verse 16. It says, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. And then I'm going to turn to, verse uh, to chapter 30. And I'm going to read to you in verse 6. It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So we begin to see or to have insight here as to what the Lord was meaning. He meant to circumcise your heart. See, there had to be a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And what that means is to cut off the flesh, right? When we're talking about circumcision, you know, of male babies, it's, it's the foreskin, right, which is the excess flesh. And the Lord is trying to tell them, as he's going to share with us, as we're going to go into the New Testament in just a second, he says, you know what, I want you to cut off the flesh in your lives. Because in our heart, we know that, you know what, sometimes it's not the spirit that is reigning, it is what, the flesh that reigns. And so the Lord says, you know what? The sins of the flesh, the appetites of the flesh, the desires and actions of the flesh, I want them cut off. And as he says there, he says there in Deuteronomy, as he, as he shared with us there in verse 6, he says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So there needs to be a spiritual circumcision. And, and let's read what it is in the heart. Let's read the flesh, I should say. 
that reigns in us before we give ourselves to the Lord and, and what tries to reign even after we give ourselves to the Lord. Let's to, go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it talks about walking in the Spirit. And it says there, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Let's jump to verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. These are the works of the flesh, okay? He's pointing out what the flesh is, what the flesh does. The actions, the works, the display of the flesh is doing these things. It says adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. And sorcery here is pharmakia, it means drugs, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand. Just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're practicing these things, the word is very simple, isn't it? The word says that, you know what, if you're doing these things, you're not going to heaven. You're fooling yourself if you're practicing these things. And that's why he was telling the Jews, cut the flesh out. You know, even though he told them to do it physically, but he also instructed them the meaning of what that is, is to remind you to be spiritually circumcised, to cut off the works of the flesh. You know, for the Jews, I want to share this with you. Did you know that the Jews thought to themselves, you know what? Because I'm circumcised, I'm going to heaven. They rested in that circumcision. They said, you know what? As long as I'm circumcised, the foreskin of my uh, of, 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 of that is, is cut off. That you know what? That I'm going to heaven. I'm I'm heaven bound. And so they rested in that. And yet their behavior didn't matter. They thought, you know what, just because of my circumcision that I'm going to heaven. See, this is what happens to us many times. What is it that we sometimes rest in and yet we still behave and we still live in habitual sin? Some of us think that, you know what, just because I say a simple prayer, right? You know what? I remember the preacher saying that if you, believe, if you say this by faith, you're going to be saved. And many people say to themselves, you know what? I said the simple prayer, so now I'm saved. But yet, they're living like this. And God is very clear in telling us that, you know what? If you're practicing these things, you're not going to heaven. You know, there's nothing here to, to misinterpret or misunderstand. It's pretty black and white. And see, and that's one thing that 
when we look at our lives, if you've given yourself to the Lord, if you've truly repented of your sin, then you're going to turn away from it. That's what that means. Repentance and now surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ means that, you know what? He's now the Lord of my life. And he, if he is the Lord of your life, then you're going to do as the master says, not as your flesh says. And this is where people get confused and people are walking deceived by the devil, thinking that, you know what, just because of that simple prayer, that they rest in it, just like the Jews, just because I'm circumcised, means that, you know what, that I'm saved. Just because I said a simple prayer means that I'm saved and yet I can live this way. They are deceived. Satan has whispered in your ears lies. See, when we come to the Lord, there needs to be transformation going on within us. You know, we need to be what? Living out now the, the spirit that is reign, the things that the spirit is telling us to do because he reigns in our heart now. If we're truly born again. See, the evidence of our faith is what? It is good works, right? And the good works means that we're going to have good conduct. It's going to mean that we have good behavior. It's going to mean that we have integrity. It means that we're going to have good character. You know, we could go on to read there in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you know what self-control means? That you're going to say no to the appetites of your flesh. And you're going to live out the things that God is asking you to live out by faith. And what's so awesome about this, and I always repeat this to you because it's so important when it comes to our walk. When we yield to the Spirit, the Lord says, I know that there is no way that you in your own power can do the things that glorify me. There's no way you can do it. And this is why I give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to give you the power, if you yield to it, to do what I say. See, I want us to turn to Romans, in Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, verse 25, It says there, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So Paul is writing there and telling us, you know what? Circumcision will work if you can be perfect like Jesus. Can any of us be perfect like Jesus? There's not one of us. There is no, not one that is good. Not one. The Word of God tells us that, and we know that. We, we, when we look at what we thought this morning or what we did yesterday or, or some of the things that we spoke the other day, we know that we're not good. We're not perfect. We're not holy. We're not like Jesus. He's the standard. And then it goes on to say in verse 26, it says, Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, Will not his circumcision be counted as circumcision? So he's saying, you know what? What about that person that is uncircumcised? 
and he keeps the law, won't it be counted as circumcision? Wouldn't he be saved because he's perfect? And then, verse 27, And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. See, for us, the circumcision has to be in our hearts. There has to be a spiritual circumcision that goes on within us to cut out the, the flesh, the works of the flesh. When we allow the Spirit of God to take over, that means that the flesh is cut off. And he says there, whose praise is not from men but from God. See, we are all spiritual Jews. When we, when we allow our hearts to be circumcised. Since we're in Romans, I want you to turn to Romans 6. In verse 11, it says there, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. When we gave ourselves to Christ, the old man was crucified. Sin no longer reigns in you unless you haven't given yourself to Christ. You know, unless, you know what, you said to yourself, you know what, I'm walking away from my faith, from faith in Christ. Not that you lost your salvation, but you walked away from it. And the Bible is clear that we can walk away from our salvation. And that is when you say no to the Lord and you say yes to the things in this world. To your flesh. And as we see this, it's just a reminder for us as the Lord brought this to us, just to a reminder that, you know what, that we must be circumcised in our hearts. There must be a circumcision that goes on within us spiritually, not outwardly, but inwardly. As we go back to Leviticus, and we're going to finish up here in verse 6 of chapter 12. It says there, when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has borne a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a, a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. 
So the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be, she will be clean. You know, I want you to know that this was a time of celebration. For the Jewish woman, after her days of purification, she didn't go in there with guilt. Oh, you know what? I've been a sinner. God didn't want me to approach him. I'm, you know, I'm horrible. That wasn't even the case here. She understood, you know what? This is what God has asked me to do, and this is what I'm going to do. But now my days of purification are over, and now I'm taking what? A lamb or a pigeon or a turtle dove, and it's a time of celebration. It's a time that, you know what, that, that, that I can rejoice now because, you know what, I'm able to, I'm ceremonially clean again. I'm ritually clean. The burnt offering. It had to be a one-year-old lamb. Or the sin offering had to be a pigeon or a turtle dove, it says there. But what happens if she was poor? Then she would bring what? If she couldn't afford a lamb. If the family was poor, they would bring what? A pigeon, they said. You know what? You could bring a pigeon or a turtle dove. So that means that there would be two pigeons, one for a sin offering and one for the burnt offering, and, one, and, and, and then one for the uh, sin offering a pigeon or a turtle dove. See, she was now able to come forward. She was now ceremonially clean. And as a reminder, what was a burnt off? Why was a burnt offering given? Because it symbolized total dedication to the Lord. Remember, the burnt offering, that animal that was put on the altar, burnt offering, the whole thing was put on there, right? Which symbolized as they put their hand on it, after, it was, uh, after they killed it and they, and, they, and they offered it and sacrificed it, all of it was put on there to symbolize that, you know what, they are completely dedicating themselves to who? To the Lord again. But why would there be a sin offering? If we're talking about the fact that she didn't commit sin and she wasn't unholy, right? You know, having a baby as we talked about, this was God's commandments from the beginning, you know, God says, I want you guys to be fruitful and to multiply. You know what? And, and we saw that he loves children. And we saw that he regards women the same way he regards men. There's no difference between the two. And we know that women are gifts from the Lord. They're good gifts. But why is it that she has to give a sin offering? You know, when some people say that, you know what? She had to do that because she brought another sinner into the world. You know, a little baby, right? And we know that all are sinners, right? We all sin. I don't have to teach Selah these days not to do something because, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't tell her. You know, when I tell her, don't do something, you know what? What's she doing when she hits me in the face and I say no and then she'll hit me again already? You know what? I don't have to teach her how not to sin because she's already able to do these things, right? And so some say, you know what? The sin offering was because there was another sinner brought into the world? You know what? I don't think about it that way. You know what? Remember what offerings were done at the time for, right? Because it was done before Christ. For us, we don't need this anymore. Because Christ is what? The final and acceptable sacrifice, right? But at this time, Jesus hadn't died for them. And remember what they were? It was just to cover sin, Remember, we're all sinners. And they had to do it repeatedly and repeatedly all the time. The sin offering was only a covering of a sin. 
And remember, they had defilement. They had discharge, the discharges that are involved in childbirth. And so now that was all covered, and now they can approach God. And that's the way I look at it. You know, as, 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 we, go th- as we went through the scriptures, and I do want to close with this. I want us to go to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, and this is after the birth of Jesus. Okay, in chapter 2, verse 21. And you're going to see how Mary follows the law to the T. She was one that knew the law. Do you know when, when, she, uh, when she spoke, I, here, let me try to find it here. One thing about Mary, the song of Mary, do you remember Mary recites in verse, in chapter 1, in, from verses 46 through 55, Mary recites the Old Testament scriptures. She, one thing about Mary is that she knew the law and she knew the Old Testament scriptures. She was obedient to what God had asked him to do. And that's the same way she is doing now with Jesus. Jesus was no, was no different in regards to her keeping the law. She had to do it because that's what was required of her. And so in verse 21, it says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So we have here, you know, when was Jesus circumcised? Eight days, right? Just as they were instructed right now, as we read there in Leviticus 12. And then verse 22 says, Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens a wound shall be called holy to the Lord. And then verse 24 says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So when she came and she presented Jesus in the temple, she brought her two doves and her two pigeons because she was poor, one as a sin offering and one as a burnt offering. And so as we see here, just fulfilling the law that was given through Moses. But as we know, when it comes to the law that was given through Moses, what was given through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. And for us, it's important to understand that we don't follow these things anymore. We're not under the law, but we are under grace and truth. And what we have here is, is again, just the Lord revealing to us, just for his people, what he had instructed them to do. He was requesting obedience from them. There were times to approach him, and there were times that we can't, we shouldn't approach him. And he was just, as everything else, he tests us, and he tests what? He, he, we, have, we, we, we are tested in obedience, right? Are we going to do what the Lord says, or are we not going to do? Are we going to make the right choices when it comes for the Lord, or are we not? You know, when it comes to the circumcision of our hearts, 
and of the flesh. You know what? Are we making those choices? Have we circumcised the flesh that is within us? You know, for mothers and children and for the rest of us, for those that place their faith in Jesus Christ, what did the Lord say to Peter when he was to, to go to Cornelius and talk to him about the Lord? He said, don't call common what I have cleansed. And may that be all of us. May it be us that God has cleansed. And the only way that the cleansing can come is through surrender, through faith, through believing in him and surrendering your life to him. You know what? God is so good. God is amazing. He's beyond my explanation of words. And God wants to do great things in and through us. May we not prohibit, may we not hinder the Lord from doing great things through us. May we be a people, as I prayed earlier, that are on fire, that are passionate, that are doing what God has asked us to do through his word. There's so many things that the Lord wants to give us, and he has given us already those that have placed their faith in him. We are under the fountain of blessings that come from the Lord. You know, as you look today, I don't know if you heard that Omar Gaddafi was killed. Who's going to reign there? Who's going to take over? We know that every single nation in Israel today, I'm sorry, in the Middle East today, is preparing for war. They know that it's coming, right? And we know that as we see what's going on in the world before us, you see what's going on in this nation. You see what's happening when you turn on the news or you hear on the radio or on the internet. There's no answers for nothing that is going on today. There's rumors of wars. You know, we had Iran that tried to attack us. You know, and did we retaliate? Or did we just, or did the administration just turn their head to it? You know what? We're living in an amazing time. I want you to know this. This time is so amazing, and God has chosen each one of you to be lights at this time. Each one of you, God has chosen to go out and to share, not to keep Jesus to yourself, but to give it out to others. You know what? God is coming soon. He is. And you know what? I truly believe that the Antichrist is alive today because he's going to bring peace to what we have in the world today. But what's so amazing about this is that none of us have to be here when the Antichrist is here because when the Antichrist comes, that is a time of God's wrath upon this world. And for us as a church, 
we're going to be raptured. We're going to be taken. We're not, you know, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through Jesus Christ. That's his word. He's going to take us out just like he took out uh, uh, Noah, just like he took out Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. We're not appointed to wrath. We're not going to be here during the tribulation period. Why not finish strong? We should have such a fire for the Lord that, you know what? That we're sharing with others, our family, our friends. You know, having a passion for his name. Because God is coming soon. And who wants to finish the race strong? Who wants to cross that finish line where Jesus can say, well done. It's not how you started, but how you finished. See, God is great. And God wants to use us in these last days. Let us put away the flesh. And let us live by the Spirit. And by the things that he has shares with us in his word. God is, is preparing us all. And he wants to use us all. What's getting in the way of God using you? That's an answer that you have to give. May we have nothing. May we come to a place of having nothing that gets in the way of God using us for his kingdom, for his glory, and for his honor. And with that, we will close. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you, Lord. Lord, I know as we look at your word, Lord, we know that things always point to you, Lord. How do we approach God? There's certain ways, and as we know,